This is um, class number 30, and we will be continuing where we left off on last week, looking at um, stick men theology and the new birth. And so um, I love to teach the Word of God. It's something that I believe um, I've been called to do, and uh, it's something that I experienced tremendous uh, joy uh, and uh, opportunities uh, to uh, teach and uh, explain and expound upon the things that Father God has said to all of us. And I particularly enjoy talking about uh, the new birth. Um, to me, um, it's one of the most important things that we could experience. Matter of fact, the most important uh, event of of an individual's life is the day that they are born again. Um, and then, um, but also e explaining it, because there's a lot of folks who've been born again who don't understand it. They have <laughs> no idea what happened to them uh, when they got saved or received salvation or were born again. And so um, I really, really enjoy equipping people with the opportunity to, uh, to hear these things, learn these things, and know these things. So. Um, if you're joining me live right now, you may be wondering what in the world am I doing uh, broadcasting at this time of day on a Monday. Well, normally um, we broadcast live at 5 o'clock, beginning at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, but um, I just have a very unique schedule this week. It's one of those uh, weeks that um, there was no way I felt like I was uh, going to be able to do the class at 5 on Wednesday, and I didn't want to uh, chance trying to squeeze it in um, and so we're going to go ahead and get it uh, uh, produced recorded what, whatever I'm trying to say and then um, it'll be available all week then for uh, for those who would like to participate in it so if you're with me live right now I'm glad that you are and um, for those of you who'll be watching this later um, welcome as well amen so let's pray and we'll get started father thank you for life and peace Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunities that you've presented to us, Lord. And I thank you that, that you have given us the wisdom to take advantage of those opportunities, Father. You've told your people in the Old Testament, and of course, uh, same as for us today. You've set before us uh, life and death. you set before us blessing and cursing. And you, of course, uh, encouraged us to choose the life, to choose the blessing, Father. And so that's what we're doing. Every time we choose you, Lord, over other things, every time we commit ourselves to you when we could be committing ourselves to other things, Father. We're, we're choosing life. We're choosing blessing. We're choosing the better part, as you, as you said to Mary and Martha, the part that can't be taken away. And so, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, upon me, upon uh, those who are, are, are watching and listening, Father. I thank you, Lord, that your word is literally alive and coming alive inside of us. I thank you, Father, that you're revealing truth to us in our inward parts. And, Lord, that um, these uh, words uh, during this class time, Father, would uh, make a tremendous difference, Lord, in our lives and in our understanding. And we, we join our faith together and we agree together now in Jesus' name for these things. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, let's, so let's do just a quick review uh, of some things and then we'll jump right into uh, tonight's, uh, I say tonight, it's in the middle of the day. I'm just so used to saying uh, night. So, um, but anyway, we'll join right in with the uh, class, praise God. Um, so the, uh, the review, uh, what is man? We've said that man is a God class being, man is a spirit being, 
man is the legal authority on earth. We've also said that man is a being created in the image and likeness of God. And then last week we uh, began with number five, man is a three-dimensional being. Man is a three-dimensional being. Now, most people think of themselves uh, in uh, one dimension. They only think of themselves as a one-dimensional being as opposed to a three-dimensional being. It's very, very important for us to understand that, um, that we are a spirit, that we uh, possess or have a soul, and that our spirit and soul uh, have been plugged into and interfaced with our physical body so spirit, soul, and body, amen. Those are the three dimensions of a human being, three dimensions of a man. So as a human being, you are a three-dimensional being. Do not make the mistake of only thinking of yourself, considering yourself, understanding yourself as a one-dimensional being. So much, and, and, and because the Lord has taught us and revealed so many of these things to us, I, I can almost like listen to someone in counseling or, or in conversation and tell when they've slipped over into one-dimensional thinking or, or only have, you know, one-dimensional approach to trying to understand themselves or what's going on in their lives or, or the uh, things that, um, that they're dealing with. So um, let me apologize in advance because um, a lot of people who contact me throughout the week know that five o'clock on Wednesday, there's no need to even bother. Um, those folks do not know that that applies for this time of day on a Monday. And so <laughs> I'm already uh, uh, hanging up on phone calls and, and sliding them off my iPad screen, things of that nature. So I apologize in advance if I'm kind of glancing around a little more than normal. Um, but anyway, that's just part of doing the class at, uh, at a different time than, uh, than normal. So, but uh, anyway, um, just to be aware of this, to be reminded of these things, and, and to develop this uh, approach to our understanding is such a critical, critical part um, of our lives and our spiritual growth, and even growth, for that matter, as, as, as the person God created us to be. So remember in Genesis 1 and 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And um, as we've pointed out uh, before, we'll remind you again, that he used plural pronouns there, us and our as opposed to me and my. It's because we know that God is a three yet one God. He is a trinity. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three yet one created you, spirit, soul, and body, a three yet one being. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, I'll put that up on the screen again. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one thing we emphasized last week was that spirit, soul, and body are all three different and unique um, words in the original language. Uh, pneuma for spirit, suche for soul, soma for body. So may your whole pneuma, suche, and soma be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he's uh, referring to these three uh, distinct uh, dimensions uh, of our existence. We looked at other verses, one in particular, Hebrews 4.12, has been a verse that um, we have referred to uh, often in our time together. And this is where it speaks of the Word of God being living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
that is able to divide the part of you that is spirit from the part of you that is soul and penetrate all the way into the marrow of the bone. So once again, we have spirit, soul, and body, all three mentioned as separate entities, as separate dimensions in a singular verse. Now, on last uh, week, we ended at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to ask if you will uh, open there with me again uh, uh, now, and we will uh, go back over these verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse, uh, beginning at verse number 18, he says, To flee sexual immorality, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you know that your body is the, te- or do you not know rather that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Let me come back over to you for a moment. That that first uh, passage, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. We we said last week that that a sin against your own body um, is a sin that that alters the way your body functions moving uh, forward. Um, so, um, you know, we could talk about, and we have talked about neural pathways and, and ways that certain sins affect us uh, physically, biologically, and affect the way our brains function and how it can create uh, cravings then and even put those cravings within the context of life and death, cravings for experiences, craving for substances, cravings for sexual things or, or um, um, chemicals, uh, alcohol, things of this nature. Um, and, and of course, we see a version of this in Proverbs where he's speaking of sexual sin and he says, can a man take fire into his lap, into his heart, into his bosom and not be burned? Uh, in, a, in other words, the, the, the effects of these things um, are, are, are in us and um, and of course these are internal things that we need the Lord's help and, and healing with in our lives. He then goes on to say, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, which God's being uh, possessive there, meaning they belong to him. So he's saying that your body and your spirit belong to God. Um, I do not think it's uh, coincidental that the soul is not mentioned here. It's not to say that the soul wasn't created by God. It certainly was. And so by virtue of the fact that it was created by God, it, it belongs to God. But the soul part of you, again, that's the part of you that thinks primarily, the soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and makes choices. Um, but the mind or the, or the thinking is the driving factor in the soul. And we've already covered this when we talked about emotions and how um, our emotions are produced by our thoughts and then our choices are influenced by our feelings or our emotions. So the driving force in the soul is, is the mind or the, or the thoughts. And what we know is that when God created us, he created us with free will. Um, he could have created us and, and, and literally programmed us like you would program a computer to only think one way and to only speak one way um, and, and without any ability to think for ourselves or without any ability um, to do anything other than what God had you know, pre-programmed us to do. But that's not how he created us because that's not 
who he wanted us to be or what he, what he desired from us. Um, he created us with the ability to choose because ultimately he wanted us to choose him. He created us with the ability to choose because if there's no choice, then there can't be love. If, if love is forced then, uh, and not offered freely, then by definition it's not love. And so when we talk about our, our soul uh, in general and our minds in particular, we see that this is an, an area that Father God ultimately wants from us, He desires from us, but it's ours to give Him. Um, it, 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 I was praying, and I'm, a little, I'm probably going to be a little premature in, in what I'm about to say, but just remember it, and maybe I'll reference it when we get to this part of the teaching. But when we understand the importance of the renewing of our minds, uh, in other words, when we, when we understand that in salvation, you know, God has done a completed and even perfect work, a perfected work uh, at the spirit dimension of our existence. Um, and then, so the importance of our minds being renewed to come into alignment with what he's already done in us spiritually. Um, as I began to understand these things years ago, I, I, I asked the Lord, you know, it's like, why don't you just go ahead and do in my soul what you did in my spirit, you know? Things would be so much easier. And, and he very quickly uh, spoke to me, not in audible voice, but in my spirit. Um, I heard him say that there's a sacred line that he, that's a sacred line he will not cross. And, and he went on to explain to me and reveal to me, of course, through the scripture and, and the Holy Spirit reminded me of scriptures, is, is that if our minds are ever going to change, um, uh, we're going to have to cooperate with him in, in the changing of our minds. It's something that that we have to surrender. And so last week, I, as I was talking about this, I said your soul is the part of you that is yours. And it, it, it's the part of you that uh, if it ever changes, uh, you'll have to participate and cooperate in the changing of it because, again, it's this sacred line uh, that Father will not, when I say won't violate it, certainly he tries to influence the way we think in the same way the devil tries to influence the way we think. Um, but there's something unique about the soul in the sense that um, we can either um, set our mind on the things of the spirit or we can set our mind on the things of the flesh. Um, it, it's, it, it does come down to you and, and for Father to just you know, lay hold of that and you not have any choice or any say-so or anything like that uh, goes completely against who he created us to be and, and why. So hope I did a little better with that now than I did at the end of, uh, of class uh, number 29. Now, we also have, have looked at, you know, the idea of um, our, our soul being ours and the importance of our soul. So look at this fascinating verse in Luke 21 and 19. This uh, came from the lips of Jesus. He says, by your patience, possess your souls. Um, in the King James Version says, uh, by your patience or endurance, I'm not sure, but it says, possess ye your souls. By your patience, possess your souls. Now, this word patience, um, in, in a biblical sense, it, it, it means more than what a lot of people think when they hear patience. When a lot of times we hear patience, um, we think of not being impatient. In other words, you had a, a, a two o'clock appointment at your dentist to get your teeth cleaned and it's 2.45 and the waiting room is full and no one's called you yet. And so we need to be a patient 
patient. Amen. Well, patience here would perhaps be better understood if it was translated endurance. He's, he's talking about our ability to endure, our ability to stay the course, our ability um, to, uh, to, to know what's right, to do what's right, and when it gets challenging, continue to do what's right. And notice he says that it's by our patience or by our endurance that we possess our souls. Now, I've already explained to you that your soul is, is that part of you to give to God, where you allow his words to be the primary uh, factor in your thoughts and thinking, that, that your uh, thoughts and thinking are based upon his truth and what he has said instead of the way you see things or the way you think it ought to be. And so as we grow in, in him and as we grow spiritually, that's, that's where the growth is actually taking place. Spiritual growth is, is a bit of a misnomer because it's not your spirit that grows. It's, it's, it's your mind coming into alignment with what God's already done in you spiritually. And so that's where the, the spiritual growth uh, is, is realized through the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind. I, I, I say it this way sometimes. It's, it's your, um, uh, your soul catching up with um, uh, what's, what God's already done in uh, your spirit. And so you say, well, well, I thought you said a moment ago, Pastor Mark, that my soul was mine. Well, it is yours unless you give it to other things or unless you give it to other people. Um, and so this is what happens like when we talk about addiction, um, you know, where our minds become so consumed by, so obsessed with uh, our drug of choice, or our minds bec become so consumed by, so obsessed with another person, a relationship, someone of the opposite sex. Um, or um, how about money, um, where, uh, you know, we, people talk about selling their soul for this or for that. W well, what we've really done is we've given our soul in exchange for um, where we no longer have possession of it, but something else is in control of our thinking or someone else is in control of our thinking. And this is not how God created us to live. He didn't create you to be his slave or anyone else's slave. He created you to be his son, his daughter, his child, um, where he can, as a loving father, uh, help you and me with the way that we think and the way that we speak and the way that we, the way that we live, but not to... Uh, put you in some kind of bondage to him to where uh, you have no say-so or no choice in the matter. It's something that you willingly surrender. So you read in the scriptures where Paul referred to himself as a bondservant, uh, but not because God made him that. It's, it's because he chose to live his life in, in, at that level of surrender to God and to God's will um, for his life. And so by your patience, possess your souls. I just want you to think about in your own life maybe what could be happening now or something that has ha that's happened in the past that, that you may be um, vulnerable to. Uh, the Bible says we all have a sin that easily ensnares us or trips us up uh, and how those things, you know, want to try to, to gain, hijack even is a strong word, but I believe appropriate, um, hijack our, our thinking, our thoughts where we, again, Cons words like consumed, possessed, uh, I'm sorry, not possessed, obsessed. Well, you can, you, know, you can, this, people who don't know God can literally become, uh, you know, to that level uh, of, um, uh, you know, where it's not their, 
their their soul. I, I, I refer to demonic possession as when someone's spirit has been possessed. But certainly the devil can become so um, uh, you know, dominant if we allow him to be in his control of our thinking that we become obsessed, we become oppressed, depressed, suppressed. Um, again, press being the key word here where we're talking about outside uh, pressure from the outside being applied um, to a man or a woman. So let me, um, let me put the drawing back up on the screen. Um, and again, if you'd like a copy of this, you can email me, mark at hccnow.org, M-A-R-K at hccnow.org. That's my email address. And I'll be happy to um, email you out one of these. Um, again, just to quickly review, we did a, a deeper dive into this on last class, but um, God represents God, and remember, He is a spirit. Zoe represents the life and nature of God, and the arrow uh, is communicating both a connection and direction, where we see that um, God created us to have a spiritual union with Himself, where His life and nature would flow from Him, a spirit, into our spirits, and then that life flow from our spirit into our soul, from our soul into our body, and from our body out into our life reality in the world around us. The words over the head of each one of these figures, pneuma, suche, soma, we've already been over those. Um, pneuma means spirit, suche means soul, soma means body. Your pneuma uh, is your spirit, it's the real you. Um, tonight we'll get into this a little deeper, but when we talk about a, the nature of a man or a woman, um, your nature resides in your spirit. Your true nature resides in your spirit. We talk about your soul. Um, this is your mind, emotions, and will, or the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And then your body, your body being uh, your flesh, also referred to as the outward man and where your five senses um, reside. We said your spirit and soul are immaterial. Your body is material, meaning there is physical substance to it. But just because something is immaterial doesn't mean it, it's non-existent. For instance, a thought is something that is found within the soul that, that interfaces with the brain, which is in the body. But a thought is immaterial, but you've come too late to the party to tell me that there's no such thing as a thought or that a thought is not real because I can't put them in a bottle and sell my thoughts. So, what do we do? Um, we see then that in understanding of this, we said connection and direction, and so the spiritual connection and the spiritual flow. Um, we said that when Adam sinned, he separated himself from God, and, uh, and that's what it means to die spiritually. We said the key word that you need to understand about death is the word separation. Death is separation. To die spiritually is to be uh, separated uh, spiritually from God, your spirit to be separated from God. To die physically is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. For the born-again believer, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Uh, and um, the scriptures also refer to our physical body as in the state that it is in now as a tent. But the Bible says that, that we will one day have a glorified body comparable to the born-again spirit that already resides within this one. Now, um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the idea of flow. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add a little something to our drawing. And so you see the life and nature of God flowing from God uh, into our spirit. 
via a spiritual union connection with him and then we see that same life and nature flowing from our soul uh, from our spirit to our soul from our soul to our body and then from our body out into our life reality and the world around us now there are a lot of things that we will build on based upon this simple drawing we said that most people are trying to live their lives exactly backwards to this they're trying to live from the outside in instead of from the inside out so we can't make that mistake we have to recognize that that everything that we are and everything that we need uh, comes from inside of us out of us that may sound very bizarre to you unless you look at a fruit tree and see that uh, God created uh, uh, trees in the same way that he created us the leaves on those trees the fruit on those trees comes from inside of that tree out of it and in the same way God created you for everything that you need to come from the inside of you out of you. when I say everything that you need the Bible literally says all things that pertain to life and godliness anything that has to do with your life and living the life that God created you to live in the way that he created you to live it um, has already been given to you it already belongs to you and um, and so how we tap into that and allow those things to flow from inside of us out of us praise God it's 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 good news don't be frustrated by this if it seems odd to you again search the scriptures Amen. we see that the Bible is full of these things as a matter of fact here's a very important verse third uh, John in verse number two there's only one chapter in verse number in third John and so it's just you know we could say chapter one verse two but beloved I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers, that you would prosper and be in health. I never put that back up on the screen, did I? Excuse me. That you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So let's go back to um, the, uh, the slide showing the flow. Amen. Um, if you've been born again, then prosperity is, is already in your spirit. Health is already in your spirit. By his stripes you were healed, not will be healed, not going to get healed. By his spirit you were healed. And so healing flows from inside of you, out of you. But notice, if you need physical healing in your body, and that healing already exists in your spirit, it's going to have to pass through your soul in order for your body to be impacted or affected by it. This is why he says that he desires for us to prosper and be in health even as our souls prosper. In other words, something inside of you, um, you know, the healing, I wish I could, it's so much easier sometimes when I can point to these. So imagine I'm pointing to spirit. Healing is in your spirit, so much so that, the, that, that Jesus said, there's so much healing in you, you can lay your hands on other people and like jumper cables, um, you lay your hands on the sick and the sick will recover. But not if your mind says no, not if your mind says this won't work, not if your mind says this is impossible. So for a lot of people, everything that they need, born-again people, uh, every born-again person, let me correct that, every born-again person has everything that they need already given to them. Um, but they're not realizing it in their life experience because their, their souls are at odds with it. There's, there's enmity, um, meaning they have a different opinion in their thinking, and therefore it shuts down the things that Father God um, you know, intends to flow uh, from them, um, inside of them, out of them. I know, again, for some of you this may sound so strange, it may sound so odd, but... Um, it, 
you know, let, let the Word of God, let the Holy Spirit help you. A lot of the things that you've been missing out on in life have been because you haven't understood that it flows from inside of you, out of you. You've considered that what you need somewhere out there and you're going to try and find it. No, no, no. In you, flowing out of you, praise God, everything that you will need in this life and beyond. Now, what we know about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is that they always work together in perfect harmony, in perfect union. We know that each defers to the others. We know that they do not demand their own way, but exist uh, to glorify and, um, and exalt and satisfy the other members of the Trinity. This is the glorifying love that the Father has for the Spirit and the Son. This is the glorifying love that the Spirit has for the Son and the Father. This is the glorifying love that the Father has for the Son and the Spirit. And so we see this, um, and we spent a whole class and a half maybe on, on that uh, in, in earlier classes. Um, by the way, if you're new to us, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. But we, there's a lot of things that we'll mention like this that we've already, you know, spent a good bill, a good did a, a good bill or a good dit of time, a good bit of time, a good deal of time um, establishing. And so we reference it as if, you know, it's this big piece that, you know, doesn't need any explanation. We've already, you know, given a lot of explanation um, to it. And so I'm, I'm referencing it now because when God created you, let me put this drawing back up. When God created you and me, spirit, soul, and body, in, his, in their image, in their likeness, um, we see that the same type of harmony and unity and oneness and, and working togetherness that exists within the Trinity existed within um, Adam when God originally created him. In other words, his spirit, his soul, and his body, um, they all functioned seamlessly together as one. But sin brought death and chaos to the triune man. So you got, you know, almost like we need dramatic music right there. Dun, 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 dun. You know, that's exactly what happened. Sin brought death and chaos to the triune man. So when we say death and chaos to the triune man, God, God never created or intended for you to be ruled by your emotions. God never created or intended for you to be uh, ruled and dominated by the lust and desires of your flesh. Um, the real you, remember, you are a spirit, and God created your soul to complement and work together with your spirit. God created your body uh, as, as a tool, as a vehicle, as an earth suit uh, to enable you to live and exist uh, here in this natural created realm, uh, never for your body to, to rule you or dominate you. As a matter of fact, if we, if we look closely and carefully at, at, at Adam's existence before he sinned, he didn't even know he had a physical body until he sinned. In other words, it was, there was such harmony and such um, you know, functionality and, and oneness um, that um, you know, it, they just all worked together without seam, seamlessly. It, it wasn't until Adam sinned that his you know, flesh uh, you know, was trying to rule and, 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 and dominate him. And, his, and, and, and negative emotions begin to be dominant uh, in his existence. And so this is what uh, sin uh, brought uh, to um, the, uh, 
the triune man, chaos and death. And so we call that um, uh, enmity. And um, we've, we've, we've talked about this once before, uh, many times before, not just once before. But let me just real quick, uh, enmity uh, can be anything from a difference of opinion to violent and, and murderous hatred. Um, so the idea behind enmity is the opposite of harmony. It's the opposite of oneness. It's, it's division. Um, it's a difference of opinion all the way to the point of violent hatred. And so this is where uh, enmity, we began talking about enmity in the early, early days of our time together in, in this year's uh, set of classes. Um, and and that, that a minister of reconciliation uh, helps eliminate the enmity uh, that exists within men and women and between God um, and men and women. So let me, um, let me put this slide up here, and then I'll show you the drawing with what we're going to learn uh, uh, overlaid onto it. So the first thing we need to understand is that sin caused enmity between God and man, meaning sin separated us from him. Um, it it uh, caused Adam to die spiritually, and it caused all of Adam's descendants to be born spiritually dead okay but we also have to understand that sin caused enmity within man so if you're uh, watching this as opposed to listening to it you can see right in front of your eyes that I have put the words between and within in all caps uh, emphasizing that sin caused enmity uh, in two distinct and important places First of all, enmity between God and man. So think of, you know, think of something, uh, picture this, my wife and I sitting on the sofa at home and our Yorkshire Terrier jumping up in her lap and then scooching himself in between the two of us, okay? So sin caused enmity to come between God and man and separated man from God. But then we also see that sin caused enmity within man, within man. And so let me put um, the drawing on uh, the screen here. So <clears throat> again, if you're listening, the drawing has the word enmity in a block, and it's blockading the flow of God's zoe uh, into uh, our spirit, into our pneuma. So the, the life and nature of God and the flow of God's life and nature from God into man was cut off by sin, okay? And that produced the, the enmity between God and man and caused the separation. Now, we also see, and, and in this drawing, rather than the arrows showing Zoe flowing, um, we have enmity now between man's spirit and soul and then enmity between man's soul and body. So there's enmity between God and man, and there's enmity within man himself, between man's spirit and soul, between man's soul and, and man's body. Now, why is this important? If we go all the way back to when we were talking about being ministers of reconciliation, we said that there are two distinct branches of the ministry of reconciliation. The first branch is where men and women hear the gospel 
and, and receive salvation and are born again. And, and that coincides with the enmity between God and man and the removal of that enmity. In other words, when a man or woman is born again, the, the sin that separated from them is taken away. Remember, Jesus didn't just come to forgive us of, of, of our sins. He came to take it away, to move it out of the way, to remove it from us as far as the east is from the west so that sin would no longer separate us from God or from the life uh, and nature of God, the free flow of God's life and nature. This is why Jesus said if you believe on him, um, you will have the life and nature of God, uh, everlasting life, the life and nature of God without end. Praise God. And, and I get excited about this every time, right? So, but we said there's two branches to the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation has to do with the, the removal of enmity. And so the first branch is salvation, where a man or woman is born again, and we get to tell people about Jesus and tell people of what Jesus has done for them, the gospel message, so that they can hear that, believe that, call upon the name of the Lord, and be, and be saved, and have that enmity removed, and they become reconciled to God, become literally one with God, their spirit and God's spirit becomes uh, one. Um, but then there's this second branch, which is the branch of discipleship. And we said discipleship is, is also the removal of enmity. But this is not the removal of enmity between God and man. This is the removal of the, of the enmity that is within man. This is, this is where um, in our souls, in our minds, we still have thoughts that are contrary to God's thoughts for us. We have ways of doing things, ways of living and behaving that are contrary to the way God created us to live and to behave. And so a minister of reconciliation is someone who helps bring people into alignment with, into agreement with the way God created them anew uh, to think and live or think and behave. Remember, conduct and condition of life, how we conduct ourselves, but also so that we can experience and enjoy the quality of life, the condition of life that God created us to enjoy and experience. Man, I sure hope this is making sense to you because it's, it's so very, very important uh, when we begin to grab hold of these things. Now, I want to take a moment to explain something to you. And um, in Romans chapter 1, um, the Apostle Paul is setting the stage for what is one of the great explanations of our salvation, our righteousness by faith. And I think it was Timothy Keller who used this example. It may have been C.S. Lewis, but um, at least I believe it was one of those two. could have been somebody else. Amen. I try to give people credit when I quote them. But, but the, the, the idea is that if you go to purchase a diamond at a jewelry store, before the jeweler uh, ever puts... Uh, the diamond on the counter for you to look at it. Uh, a lot of times they'll pull out a black velvet cloth and lay the black velvet cloth down first and then put the diamond on the black velvet. And so the backdrop enables the, the beauty of the diamond to be uh, uh, amplified, accentuated. And so in the book of Romans, this is what the Apostle Paul does when he begins by explaining to us the predicament, the dilemma that we all found ourselves in. And, and um, he concludes around chapter 3 uh, that, um, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God 
um, and that uh, basically Jew and non-Jew alike um, have all sinned and are all in the same predicament, and basically that we're without hope. Um, and so that, that black velvet cloth provides the backdrop now for all that Jesus came to do for us and, and, the, and the glorious diamond um, that, that is set against that backdrop of hopelessness that is our salvation. And so in the opening chapter of um, the book of Romans, Paul basically is saying that God created us to live way up here, but instead we're living way down here. And he, and he asked the question and, and gives the answer, you know, what happened? How did we go from being created to live here to living um, way down here? And then, of course, the, the, the rest of the book of Romans tells us how to go from living way down here back to living uh, on the level uh, that God created each of his children to live upon. Now, I want you to think for a moment how life must have been for Adam before he sinned. And it, it, it was definitely a glorious, glory-filled life where God himself would come in the cool of the evening and, and spend time um, with, uh, with Adam. Uh, and, and don't overthink it. I mean, you can overthink it, but, but don't overthink it and miss you know, the beauty and the simplicity of just two people who genuinely love one another, uh, spending time together, friends, uh, fellowshipping with one another, communing um, with one another, talking about uh, things with one another. And, and it's such a beautiful picture of what uh, Father God desires to have, um, God desires to have um, with all of us and include all of us in. Um, and so I say at that point that Adam excuse me, was God conscious. Now, what, what do I mean by God conscious or God consciousness? I simply mean that he was aware of God. But, but in this case, God conscious meant everything that Adam understood about himself, everything that Adam understood about his life, his existence, and everything that Adam understood about his future and, and what life was about came from uh, his awareness of God and only came from his awareness of God. In other words, everything that he knew about himself and about his life um, came from God. If you'll recall when Adam sinned uh, and he hid himself from Eve and from God, the only two people who could help him he ran from and hid from, um, and God asked him, Adam, where are you? Um, and he said, I hid because I'm naked. And then God said, who told you you were naked? Um, God wasn't playing dumb, and he wasn't trying to drag it out of him, and he wasn't trying to shame him. Um, he was uh, asking some very important questions for our benefit so that we can go back and debrief this and learn from it. And so when he, when he asked God, when God asked him, who told you you were naked, obviously, God knew that, but what is he emphasizing for you and me? He's emphasizing for you and me that Adam, for the first time in the history of his existence, had come to an understanding about himself, a conclusion about himself, an image of himself that did not originate from God. It did not come from God. He's now believing things to be true about himself that, that God did not tell him, that, that he did not arrive at based upon information from God. So this is info 
from outside of God that, that's not based upon the truth and the reality uh, of God and who God is. And this marks a very, uh, albeit um, sad, but also very important moment in um, human history. So when Adam sinned, he went from only knowing and understanding um, you know, himself from a perspective and image of God. This is what we mean by being um, God conscious. But, but when Adam sinned, he then went from being God conscious to also being sin conscious. Now, sin aware means, or sin consciousness means that Adam was aware of his sin. He was aware that he had done something that had damaged him internally. And because he did not lose his God consciousness, his awareness of God, his awareness of, of the sin that he committed caused him to run from God. In other words, if, if he went from only being God conscious to only being sin conscious, then he wouldn't have even known who God was when God showed up uh, again in the garden that afternoon. So it was his awareness of God, and, and this is important not just to understand what happened in the garden, but, but what you and I deal with, because we see it in John the third chapter and other places in the scripture, where people uh, could come to the light so that their, their sin could be exposed and, and Jesus could do a work in their lives, but instead they run from the light deeper into the darkness rather than from the darkness towards um, the light, lest their deeds be exposed by the light. So we see that Adam, you know, is the originator of, of this. Um, he's running from God who wants to help him, and God did help him to the best of, his, of God's ability and what he could do at that time. Um, you know, and, and he made permanent clothing, physical clothing, uh, for Adam uh, and Eve to... Um, to, to put on and to clothe themselves. But again, for the sake of what I'm wanting us to look at now, Adam goes from God conscious only to now he's both God conscious and sin conscious. So there is, there is he's conflicted. Um, but this is not the only awareness that developed because upon Adam uh, uh, becoming sin conscious, he immediately uh, became um, self-conscious. So think about it now. Uh, he went from only being God-conscious to being God-conscious, sin-conscious, and self-conscious, and self-aware. Now, we also see that um, with each passing generation from Adam to Noah, that mankind became less and less God-aware, God-conscious, and more and more sin and self-conscious. In other words, if, 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 you know, it went from only being God-conscious to now we're being God-conscious, sin and self-conscious. And as each generation passed, uh, it became a little less about God and a little more about sin and self. A little less about God, a little more about sin and self. Until literally sin and self completely eclipsed God in the days of Noah at least when I say eclipse God, in, in the hearts and minds of mankind, in the sense that the Bible says this, every thought in every heart was only evil continually. Every thought in every heart was only evil continually with the exception of Noah. This is why God sent the flood, because humanity had lost 
all understanding of God, all awareness of God, all consciousness of God, and, um, and, and so therefore were beyond saving. Uh, they had passed a point of no return. And this is the mercy of God, it's the grace of God, but it's also the, um, the justice of God. We see later that, that those people who, who died, according, we find it in uh, either first or second Peter, where um, they were preached to uh, in, in, in the bowels of the earth and given the opportunity to, <laughs> to repent. And so who knows? I don't understand a lot of all that, but yet we see glimpses of it in the scripture. And so we know that God is a merciful and, and gracious and loving and kind and just um, God. All right, now... So, I want to go back to the enmity between God and man and then the enmity within man. Because the connection that Adam and Eve had with God provided something that was lost when they sinned. And it wasn't just lost for them, it was lost for all of mankind. This is uh, among the many things that Jesus came to restore to us. And so when I say connection lost, I'll just put this on the screen. When we lost our spirit connection with God, we lost everything that spirit connection produced and supplied, leaving man, or we could say mankind, to try and compensate for these things through inferior means. Now, I'm going to leave that on the screen for a moment because I know from feedback that uh, some of you take notes and you like to write things down. This is a really important point because what we're looking at here is, is an unraveling of humanity and how it happened and, and how we got to the place that we are today. But also remember along the way, we're, we're in a, in just along the way of explaining this, we're putting that black velvet cloth down so that the diamond of, of God's answer for us will uh, be uh, more understood and hopefully more appreciated and valued. Um, but again, when we lost our spirit connection with God, we lost everything that spirit connection produced and supplied, leaving mankind to try and compensate for these things through inferior means. Now, I'm going to uh, put a list on the screen. I'll give you the list. I'll call it out for those of you who are listening by podcast, okay? But I'm going to put a list on the screen, and there are other versions of this I mean I've had people send me different ones over the years and uh, and I and I listen I appreciate that if you got a good one you want to send me I, I, I'm welcome to I welcome it I'll, I'll be happily receive it but um, you know I taught this for those of you um, who maybe were in some of the earlier classes we we may have taught this slightly different I think at one point my list was a little longer than this one um, but I think these five cover it and um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this list and when I say things that we lost, you know, certainly the fellowship and, 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 and you know, things of that nature, but um, I'm talking about some of the most basic and fundamental human needs um, that we were created by God to receive from Him through a spiritual connection with Him. And so the first thing that um, I want to mention is acceptance. Um, and I offer to you uh, that every human being on planet Earth is in a pursuit of acceptance. As a matter of fact, I'll give you the list, but, but even before I give it, let me tell you that I believe that it's a pursuit of these five things that is uh, driving life on this planet. 
that 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 motivates uh, people um, to uh, uh, you know go after things on, on planet Earth, and so um, acceptance. Um, we we all have a longing inside of us to be accepted. Um, some of the things that that perhaps we are you know, as far as choices that we've made or things that we've done that we would be embarrassed or ashamed about are things that we did because we were motivated to be accepted by our peers. We, we, we sometimes call this peer pressure, um, where we do things that we, we were raised better than to do, we, we knew better than to do them, but we did them anyway because we wanted to be accepted by a group. The second uh, word on the list is the word security. And this is the idea of, you know, where we long to feel secure. We, we, we long to feel, you know, some form of connection, obviously, that comes through being accepted by a, a, a group of people or, or our families and things of this nature. Um, there are a lot of people who struggle with insecurity uh, in our world, uh, the problem of fear and designer versions of fear like stress and worry and and so forth and so on. So again, uh, people want to feel secure and have a feeling of um, security. Um, the uh, third one on the list is identity. Identity. And this has to do with uh, a longing inside of us to know who we are, to, um, to, to have a, 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 a sense of, um, you know, uh, I guess I've already said it once, but just but 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 knowing ourselves and and, and you know the, the factor uh, that this has in in our life reality is is um, impossible to exaggerate. Remember, Jesus knew where he came from, he knew who he was, and he know where he knew where he was going. Um, the 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 fourth uh, on the list of five is our significance. So acceptance, security, identity, significance, where, uh, because we were created by God um, to, uh, to be valued, um, to, uh, uh, to um, you know, our worth, you know, our significance is, 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 is an ability to understand what our, our lives are, are, are worth and um, the... Uh, uh, the value that we bring to a relationship, a situation, so forth and so on. And then the fifth one is purpose. Um, again, people are looking for their acceptance, they're looking for security, they're looking for their identity, they're looking for their significance, they're looking for their purpose. Now, I'm offering to you, uh, you know, for consideration, because I've come to terms with this for myself, is that the only place that we can ever truly find these things to the level. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that, that being accepted and, and being secure in relationships and, and you know, are you know, somehow not important. They are. But other people cannot provide these five things for us to the level and extent that we crave um, these things. In other words we will never have that sense of acceptance and security until we know that we are accepted by God and secure in a relationship with Him. We'll never know who we are by trying to find ourselves in other people. 
by trying to find people that we can identify with. And because we identify with that group of people, maybe we can find our identity in them. God created you. He knows who you are, and you will never be satisfied with the answer you find from any other source other than him until you know who you are in him created to be by him you will always have an unsettled uh, part of your life um, when it comes to your identity some of you know listen as parents we identify as a, as a spouse part of my identity is is my marriage to pam part of my identity uh, is 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 being a dad to my to my children and a grandfather to my to my grandchildren um, I'm not trying to discount any of that. It's not, it's not in the discounting of it. It's in the overstating and the overvaluing of it um, where we think that somehow we can satisfy our longing for all of these things. This, this is why so many relationships fail. Um, this is why so many marriages fail because we think it's our spouse's fault for not meeting these fundamental um, needs uh, in our lives but it, to the extent that that we need them met and, and and it's it's placing an unfair burden on other people because again people cannot do for you what you need to have done for you um, in these five areas let me put the list back up on the screen acceptance security identity significance and purpose you were created by God to be accepted by him, to be secure in him, to know who you are in him, to find your significance and purpose in him. So when we say the connection was lost, when we lost our spirit connection with God, we lost everything that spirit connection produced and supplied, leaving man to try and compensate for these things through inferior means. This is, it, it's, it's a search for these things that lead us into all kinds of sinful behavior. It's, it's a search for these things, um, you know, one of the great mistakes people make is they try to satisfy the inward hunger of the heart um, with the outward things of the flesh. And so we hunger for acceptance and security. And so we try to find it in all kinds of sexual experiences and, 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 and so forth and so on. And, and those things promise us fulfillment on the, on the, uh, you know, initially in, in the beginning, but they only compound our, our misery uh, later as we find out that um, those things are, are not the solution that we're searching for. Now, <clears throat> I believe that, um, well, so let me go back to it, leaving man to try and compensate for these things through inferior means. So we're trying to, what this boils down to is, is people are trying to find a substitute for God. They're trying to find something or someone um, to, to do in their lives and meet these fundamental uh, life needs uh, for them. Since we've lost our connection with God, um, we still have the appetites for these things, the desire for these things, and so we, we try to find them in some other source. So here is the number one. Obviously, there's all kinds. We've mentioned some already, but here, here's the simple. We find it in the Scriptures. It's, it's, it's the number one God substitute um, uh, that people turn to. Are you ready for it? This is what Jesus said. Jesus says you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. So let's go back, let's go back to the drawing, all right? Notice that people look to money for a sense of acceptance. Um, 
security is the one maybe where it really shows up the most, maybe that and significance and purpose, right? But you know, think of how many people just, you know, they look for, uh, you know, the answers to these things in, in other people, uh, but then also in money. Um, you know, if we can have enough money, people will love us. If we have enough money, we'll be secure in life. If we have enough money, you know, we, we'll be somebody. We'll be somebody of importance. And, and even when it comes to, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, you know, to use money to gain some kind of sense of purpose um, in our lives. Now, praise God. We've got so much uh, to cover here. Um, let's do this. Let's, um, <clears throat> I want to talk about a few things. Let me put the drawing back up. And um, I'm going to be brief with this part because there's a, there's a part that I really am wanting to get to, and we got, I don't know, about 45 minutes or so left. Um, so I'll put this, put this back up on the screen. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit's the real you. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind, emotions, your will, the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. And then your body, your flesh, your physical senses, um, also your uh, outward man. Okay. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So I like to say it this way. The flesh had a willing participant in um, the efforts to fulfill its lusts, and that willing participant was the mind. So I'm going I'm to leave the drawing up here for a moment, and I want to try to explain this to you if, um, and, and maybe I need to develop another uh, drawing to depict this side of it, but when, um, I could put this one back up, I guess. When uh, enmity came, remember the flow of life from God, the life and nature of God into our spirit was shut off. So you could, you could almost go up there and just put X's over the eyes of the figure representing our spirit because at this point our spirit's dead not this may be a, uh, an easy way and I think I've got this somewhere in my notes as we work our way through this but um, think about your cell phone going dead we say my phone is dead I mean you're sitting there holding your phone okay what, what does that mean it means one of two things and um, it, it either means you've gotten so far from the tower that your phone is dead and is not receiving a signal, so therefore you can't send a text message or make a phone call. Or it means that it's lost power, the battery has gone dead. Um, uh, either way, let me come back over to you, um, either way your phone is dead. Well, when we say our spirit went dead uh, or went dark, um, it doesn't mean that our spirit's no longer non-existent. It means that it's lost connection with the tower, it's lost connection with its creator, lost connection with God, and that we've also lost connection with power. We know our spirit no longer has the power in it uh, or the, the connectivity um, that comes from being, uh, you know, as one with God. Okay, now, when that happens, so let me... Um, 
let me let me put the drawing back up. Amen. So when that happened, your spirit is dead. If 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 we were in class together, I would just I'd put my hand over the spirit to show you that the only life then left in this being, because uh, there's no Zoe, the only life that could be left is bios. Remember what we said about Adam and Eve, in dying you shall surely die. So they died spiritually um, first, and then over time, bios that was generated originally by Zoe is fleeting, and, and they, it eventually expired. It ran out. Um, and so when our spirits are dead, the only life that we possess at that point is is the bios in the flesh. And so this creates, um, this creates a, you know, a situation where things are out of balance. Um, this, this is how the flesh is able to gain so much control over people. It's because, because flesh has all the life, flesh has all the cards, so to speak. And so when Ephesians 2 and 3 says that both fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, we see that the mind becomes a participant with and eventually becomes enslaved by the flesh, um, controlled by the flesh. And so it, it may sound silly, but don't, don't overlook the point in the silliness or the simplicity of it. So your flesh says, if I don't get another drink of alcohol, I'm going to die. And your soul responds by saying, wait, don't kill us. I'll help you get that drink. I'll help you get what you lust for. I'll help you get what you desire. Remember the brain, the survival brain especially, puts uh, cravings for things that our flesh desires in the context of life and death. And so this is why we say that pies to die for, or if, if I don't get some opiates in my system now, I'm going to die. And the whole spectrum of fleshly pleasures put within the context of life and death. And so if the, if the body dies and it has the only life, then this, this means the soul is going down with it. So the soul says, in essence, um, don't kill us, I'll help you. And so this is how the, the mind becomes a willing participant uh, in the lust of the flesh. As a matter of fact, if, if, if you could almost picture um, the, you know, the, in this drawing, I'll put it back on the screen, with the enmity over it, spirits dead, so put X's. Um, if, if I had a dry erase board, I would do it for you right now, could somehow do this. Um, put X's on the eyes of the spirit representing the spirit's dead not lost connectivity lost power so now suche and soma soul and body um, are still still breathing and so very quickly the soul the mind becomes dependent upon or is dependent upon the body and, and eventually becomes a slave to the flesh to help the flesh get what it desires and craves if you can picture that, you can picture what addiction looks like. You can picture what a slave to sin or a slave to our flesh um, would, 
look like. Praise God. All right. Now, Paul asked a question in, um, in Romans, the 7th chapter and the 24th verse. I'll put it up on the screen for you. I apologize if I'm a little uh, disjointed right now. It's not because people are texting me or calling me. <laughs> it's because I've got a lot that I'm trying to cover tonight uh, during this class, and I want to make sure that we get in what we need to get in uh, during this time. All right. So Paul asked questions in, in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this situation where uh, you know, part of me wants to do right, but there's a part of me that overrules it? Part of me is sick and, and finished with and even despises uh, things that I'm doing, but I don't find within myself the ability to do what I know I should do and stay away from and stop doing the thing that I know I shouldn't do. And so he asked the question, a wretched man that, that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so this is where we're going to shift gears yet again. We're not, we're not leaving uh, our study of spirit, soul, and body. We're going to use what we've learned about spirit, soul, and body to understand salvation and the new birth. So this section of our teaching is understanding salvation and the new birth understanding salvation in the new birth. So if you never received salvation, if you've never been born again, then praise God. Um, let's receive the gift. Let's call on the name of the Lord. Let's confess him. Um, let's believe in our hearts and, 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 and receive, uh, confess with our mouths that Jesus is, is, the, is, is the son of God and that God's raised him from the dead. And, and let's do it now. Now's the time of salvation. No, no need to wait. Um, or, uh, <laughs> you know, um, don't put it off a, a single second longer. Amen. Um, but again, I, I know from doing this for so many years, the overwhelming majority, if not 100% of the people that are watching me or listening to me right now, have already been born again. And I also know that a large percentage of those who are watching me or listening to me right now who have been born again um, understand very little about what happened when they received salvation, when they got saved, when they walked the aisle, when they were baptized in water, um, or what the new birth has to do with any of this, if anything, okay? So, understanding salvation in the new birth, when the Apostle Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? He's, he's crying out, and the Holy Spirit is giving him words, amen, uh, to express our uh, need for and dependence upon a Savior. In, in other words, um, when we talk about receiving salvation or getting saved, um, this implies, and is certainly true, that we were uh, in a predicament that we needed to be rescued from or saved from, a predicament that we could not rescue or save ourselves from, all right? Well, I got good news for you, amen. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, he says that he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, Jesus came to save us, all right? Now, let's get this... Let's just get this nailed down. Um, Jesus came to save us. 
And in order to understand the rescue He has provided, we need to understand the dilemma we were drowning in. Okay? So the, the imagery here is um, a lifeguard, uh, someone is drowning, and the lifeguard saves this person. They save them either by throwing them a, a, a ring. There's these long you know, poles that have the end on them they can pull people in with. Um, or, if necessary, jump in the water and, and go get them. Right? So in the case of saving someone from drowning, um, this would be saving them from um, you know, the water uh, that they can no longer stay afloat in. Um, and, and, and getting them out of that water onto dry ground and ultimately to safety. So when Jesus came to save us, if we're ever going to understand our salvation and the rescue he has provided, we need to understand exactly what it is that he saved us from, what exactly it is that we were drowning in. Now, because many times our salvation was presented to us as come let Jesus forgive you from of your sins forgive you forgive your sins um, so that you won't go to hell and will go to heaven it's very easy for us to say that Jesus came to save me from my sin now don't misunderstand me if if that's your if that's if that's your understanding and if that's how you would answer this question um, I'm not saying that the answer is wrong because Jesus did come to save us from our sin, okay? But I am telling you that that answer is incomplete. I am telling you that Jesus did come to save you from your sin, but he also came to save you from something uh, a lot more than your sin, okay? Because the problem that Jesus came to save us from uh, went much deeper than our behavior. It went much deeper than our behavior. Now, for those of you who have um, been with me throughout and, and been in pretty much all these classes, you know that we've already established a link between our behavior and our thinking that um, behavior is something that takes place inwardly that is reflected outwardly uh, by the things that we do. Um, you can never change the way you behave, act, um, without letting the Lord help you change the way you think because your actions and behavior are a reflection of, um, of the way you uh, think. So you could then maybe conclude from that understanding that Jesus did come to save us from our sin. Sin is behavior. So he must have also come to save us from the, the deeper thinking that, um, that produces uh, that wrong behavior. All right. So I'm going to go back to our screen now, our slide now. One more time, Jesus came to save us, and in order to understand the rescue he has provided, we need to understand the dilemma we were, quote-unquote, drowning in. And our problems went much deeper than behavior. Also, we need to understand that our problems went much deeper than our thinking. 
So did Jesus come to forgive us uh, for our sin and, um, and, and to rescue from us from our, our sin behavior? Yes, he did. But he came to do more for us than that. Uh, because underlying our sinful behavior is our wrong thinking. Did Jesus come to set us free from and deliver us from our sinful behavior and our sinful thinking? Yes, he did. But he also came to set us free from something even deeper than that. You see, Jesus didn't only come to uh, change our bad behavior and our wrong thinking. He ultimately came to change our nature. Jesus came to change our nature. Jesus came to change your nature. Jesus came to save us and change my nature. Okay, now let's, um, let's, let's go back to, praise God, I've got one around here somewhere. Um, I'm never far from one of these in my notes. It looks like I am far from one of these in, uh, in my notes. So here it is. Let me put it back up. All right. I have a slide that will do this for us in a minute. Okay. But let's use this one until I get to this one deeper down in my notes. Um, so far in unraveling our understanding and establishing some truth and baseline uh, revelation on what it is Jesus came to rescue us from or what he came to save us from, what we needed to be saved from. Did he come to save us from our sin? Yes. Okay, he came to actually take it away, the Bible says. But just for now, save us from our sin. If you had to pick um, one of the three to take um, the label sin or behavior and apply it to, um, I think it's pretty obvious that sin would coincide with our body. Um, not that sin doesn't affect us spiritually or sin doesn't affect us uh, mentally and emotionally, but when we talk about our behavior, we're talking about actions, and when we're talking about actions, we're talking about something we do uh, with our body, okay? Did Jesus come to help us with our sinful behavior? Yes. But remember, behavior is deeper than action. It, it begins with something internally and has a lot to do with our thinking. So clearly, um, our, our thoughts and thinking uh, correspond with the part of us that is our soul. But then we see there's something deeper still that, uh, and that goes even deeper in us than our behavior, deeper in us yet than our thinking. And that's our nature. And your nature corresponds with your spirit, the real you. The real you the, is your nature. Your nature is your real you. And we see then that we have nature in our spirit. We have thinking in our soul. And then we have behavior or actions in our body. Spirit, soul, and body. So when I say our problems went deeper than our behavior... Jesus came to do something more for us than forgive us for our sins. When I say our problems went deeper than our thinking, Jesus came to help us in the area of our minds, renewing and reconditioning our minds, giving us the mind of Christ. But we also see that he came to do something deeper in us even than helping us with our uh, poor or wrong thinking. Um, we see that the problem 
at the deepest level of our existence involves our nature, and this is why I'm telling you that he came to change our nature. Now, John chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. John 3, 5 and 6. I actually have in my notes Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. I'm not going to take the time to do all uh, of those verses. We have, in times past, making other points, uh, you know, went through those verses. And this is where we have Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. This is where Jesus explains that we must be born again if we're ever going to see the kingdom of God or enter into the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus says in John 3 and 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Nicodemus made a critical error that a lot of people make, and I mentioned that error at the beginning of our class time uh, together uh, today. And that error was he looked at himself and tried to understand things from a one-dimensional perspective. When Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, Nicodemus asked, how can a man when he's old go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? Meaning what? Meaning Nicodemus was thinking that in order to be born a second time, it had to be a physical birth. And this is when Jesus explains to him that you have to be born of water. This is speaking of when a woman's water breaks and she gives birth to a child. Born of water is speaking of a physical birth unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Being born of the Spirit is talking about being born a second time, being born again. And Jesus uh, clarifies even further in verse 6 when he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So when Jesus says to you and to me through his conversation with Nicodemus that you must be born again, he's giving us um, uh, you know, some very important understanding here. He's, he's literally um, saying that, um, that we, we must be um, born a second time of the Spirit now. What we know is that the new birth, the new birth being born a second time is a literal experience. That's such an important point, as simple as it may sound. I'm going to put it up on the screen, okay? The new birth is a literal experience. Literal as opposed to what? Literal as opposed to a figurative experience. It's not like you got born again. You literally got born a second time. This is one of the most important things you can understand about your new birth is that when you were born again, something literally was born a second time at the deepest level and dimension of your existence. The new birth is a literal experience. If you could look at the spirit of someone who has been born again and compare it 
to who and what they were before they were born again, you would see a remarkable difference. There is a remarkable difference between a person who has been born again and a person who has not been born again. So many times we think in terms of being born again as something figurative, as, as something that, um, you know, is, is you know, what, have, what are some of the words like? It's an analogy. It's like turning over a new leaf. No, please. When you were born again, something real, something genuine, something eternal, and something literal took place at the deepest level of your existence. Jesus said, you must be born again. Why is it necessary? Why is it a must? Why must a man or a woman be born again? And if it's so important and it's something that we must be, how is it possible? Or more directly, how is it that Jesus has made it possible? Well, these are the questions that we're going to be focusing in on the rest of our time today and when we're together again next week. But to get a little bit ahead of myself, and then I'm going to give you some verses um, out of the book of, uh, of 1 Peter. But to get a little bit ahead of myself, because it is our nature that had to be changed. Jesus didn't just come to change your behavior. He didn't just come to change your thinking. He came to change your nature. Okay, um, Consider this for a moment. All right, The law was about changing people's behavior. The commandments are about changing people's behavior. Um, even what we see in the scriptures, things like the Proverbs, designed to help people think better. Um, but all the better thinking in the world, all the better behaving in the world uh, is powerless to change the part of us that needed to be changed, powerless to rescue us from the part of us that we needed to be rescued from. And we needed to be rescued from the corrupted seed of Adam. Because what I'm going to show you in the Scriptures is that when we were born from the seed of Adam, we were born from corrupted seed. And the corrupted seed of Adam produced within us a corrupted nature. And the only way to change the corrupted nature that was deep within and that is deep within every human being that has not been born again, the only way to change that corrupted nature is for that man or woman to be born a second time with a different seed. We were born, the Bible teaches, of the corrupted seed of Adam when we were born the first time, when we were born of the flesh. In order to be born a second time with an incorruptible seed, amen, uh, this is, in order, to, I'm sorry, in order to, to receive a new nature, we must be born again. We must be born a second time um, of an, a different seed, or we could say of an incorruptible seed. All right, so go with me now to 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 17. Praise God. All right. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, uh, beginning at verse 17. And he says this, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So don't be confused by how this begins. 
When he's talking about people who call on the Father, he's talking about people who've been born again. He's talking about folks who are, who are the born-again offspring of God, and they're, they're calling on God. And so um, we could say if those who are named by the Father, those who, who have received salvation, he's saying that this Father, without partiality, judges according to each one's work. He's saying, so conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. So notice he's talking about this group of people, um, their salvation. He's talking about their salvation in the past tense because it's something that they have already received. It's something they have already experienced. And so he's reminding them that they were redeemed. Redeemed is a salvation uh, term, and we will do a whole class on salvation terminology, uh, but it basically means that they were purchased and the and they were purchased with the blood of Jesus, knowing that you were not redeemed, purchased with corruptible things. Notice that word corruptible there. Something that, that is corruptible is something that can be spoiled. It's something that can be ruined. It's something uh, like lunch meat. You know, I don't recommend it, but they put so many preservatives in it. You know, they have lunch meat that'll, that'll last a long time before it goes bad, okay? But lunch meat, in the end, is corruptible. It's perishable. It's, it's, it's something that... Uh, that can be and, and, and will be corrupted. So he's pointing out here to them and to us that we have been redeemed, we have been saved, but not with things that are corruptible or can be corrupted, like silver or gold. And he says that we were redeemed, uh, not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless uh, conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Now, there's something you're going to see here. You have to look for it a little closely in, uh, in Peter's writings um, that we will see again in Paul's writings, both inspired by the Holy Spirit, obviously, um, that, that, that zero in on our aimless conduct, our behavior. For instance, um, uh, the Holy Spirit through the Paul through Paul says that we are sons of disobedience, that we are children of wrath. So he's speaking of um, not just um, our conduct, but but what we receive from our fathers, that we are the offspring um, of these things. Um, it's, anyway, just file that away. It, it, it's very very important, uh, and and we're going to build on it as we work our way through. Okay, now. And by the way, let me point out while we're here, aimless conduct is correlating with or, or, or in conjunction with body, soma, uh, outward part, outward man of three dimensions of man. Let's keep going here. Verse 19, we were not redeemed with corruptible things, okay? But what were we redeemed with? Verse 19, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And by the way, the precious blood of Jesus um, was, uh, um, is incorruptible. Jesus was not corrupted. He was a sinless man, uh, born of a virgin, was not born of the corrupted seed of Adam. This is why the virgin birth is important for us to understand. Um, Jesus' blood was, the, was, was sinless, spotless blood, the only blood that could... Um, pay for our sin and redeem us. I've, I say it this way often. Um, he was more undeserving of punishment than all of us put together were deserving, deserving of it. That's how 
he was able to tip the scales of God's eternal justice in our favor. So we were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things, such as the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish and without spot, or we could say a lamb without corruption. Okay, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. The book of Revelation says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Here we see that um, uh, mentioned as well. What does this mean? This means before God ever created Adam, knowing that creating him with a free will, he would eventually choose to separate himself from God. But Jesus had already agreed to come and be the penalty for the sins of all mankind so that we could have the option uh, to return back to God the Father and be His offspring in the earth once again. Amen. So, I didn't have a choice in what Adam did uh, when Adam sinned, which caused me and you to be born from corrupted seed. But we do have a choice in what Jesus has done for us and the price that He paid for us in the sacrifice that He made for us as us on our behalf so that we can now choose. Amen. One of the key things that we're going to see in all of this is that Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. Adam in the Garden of Eden, first Adam, Jesus, last Adam. That we were once in Adam, but now that we've been born again, we are in Christ Jesus. This is what it means when the Bible says things like, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've been born again, you're no longer in Adam, you're in Christ. So what's true of those who are in Adam is no longer true of you, but what is true of you is what's true of those who are in Christ. And I could go on and on and on with this, okay? So, Jesus agreed to do this for us before God ever created a single one of us. Verse 21, let's go back to it now. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently from with a pure heart. So notice he's saying that you purified your soul. Now, again, I know that this is kind of counterintuitive to what a lot of us were taught when we were uh, raised you know, up in, in you know, church and different denominations and that sort of thing. Because <clears throat> your soul and your spirit is not the same thing. Um, when it came to your soul, I mean, your sin was forgiven. I'm sorry, when it came to your spirit, your sin was forgiven. But through the new birth, your spirit, your old spirit, your former self and nature died with Christ. And, and when you were born again, you were born from death and made a new creation. You, you became a new spirit, born from a different seed. And so there is certainly a cleansing and a purifying of the, of the spirit, and, and God did that. But now he says that they purified their souls. You've purified your soul. How did they purify their soul? They purified their soul in obeying the truth. Obeying the truth certainly means doing what the truth says, but we also see obeying the truth means believing what the truth is, believing what the truth says. It purifies, it purifies your souls in obeying the truth 
through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23 is the verse that we ultimately is our target. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Okay? So, I'm going to put verse 23 up on a solo slide in just a moment. I do want to point out to you, and I'm not going to go back through all the verses, but I do want to point out to you that in each one of, in, in, in the set of verses, 17 through 23, we saw conduct mentioned, we saw the soul purifying the soul mentioned, and then we see in the last one, born again of an incorruptible seed. So when a man or a woman is born again, it is not your body that's born again, nor is it your soul that's born again. It is your spirit that is born again. The spirit is born again. Remember, what's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. Now, this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it packs quite the punch. Sometimes... Um, you know, remembering the address of a verse can be a challenge. If you're like me, you probably know a lot of verses, but do not know right off the top of your head where every verse in the Bible is found. Um, this one is, um, is an easy one to remember, 1, 2, 3. So 1 Peter 1, 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. Uh, easy way to commit this one to memory. And notice now, again, he says that these folks, and of course, if, if it's true of, of you, you've received the Lord Jesus, that having been born again, born a second time, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So there's a seed that has been and can be corrupted, but there is a seed that has not been and cannot be corrupted. When we were born the first time, we were born from a seed that, that um, has been and continues to be corrupted. Um, but when we were born a second time, we were born of a seed that has not been and cannot be corrupted. This is what it means by incorruptible. It means it, it has not seen corruption and it cannot be corrupted. Just because something is not cor corrupted doesn't mean that it can't be. Um, lunch meat can be fresh, but it can also go bad. Um, in this case, it's incorruptible. It has not been, cannot be, and never will be. All right. So, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. We were all born from corrupted seed. If you have received salvation, you have been born again from an incorruptible seed. And this incorruptible seed, by characteristic of it in 1 Peter 1.23, is uh, it uh, abides and lives forever. Lives and abides forever. Okay, now I know that I'm taking some time here. But for some of you, you've been some. I'm, I'm talking to people right now. Have been born again for thirty years or more, 
and, and have never had any of this explained to you. Okay? I feel so compelled to apologize so many times for people who have been in church for so long and nobody's ever explained it to them. Okay? But amen, that's, here we are today. We're learning today. Amen. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So it's the seed of God's word that we were born again from. And what is that characteristics of that seed? That it lives and it abides forever. Okay, so I told you a moment ago that Jesus came to save us. Amen. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that while he saved us from our sin, our problems went deeper than that. While he has saved us from and given us the opportunity to know who God is in the mind of Christ, our problems and issues went deeper than our thinking, that they went all the way to the spirit level of our existence where our nature resides. And so if I could just simplify it, Jesus came to save us from the corrupted seed of Adam. Jesus came to save us from the corrupted seed of Adam. When you were born the first time, you were born from a corrupted seed. You were born physically alive, but spiritually dead. When you were born the second time, you were born of the incorruptible seed of God. And that incorruptible seed of God lives and abides forever. And it produces and has produced, if you've been born again, a new spirit in you which also now lives and abides forever. I told you a moment ago that the new birth is a literal experience. The new birth is a literal experience and is the only way to change your nature. The new birth is a literal experience and is the only way to change your nature. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The new birth is a literal experience. And because the problem that we had was more than behavior and more than bad thinking, wrong behavior, wrong thinking, bad behavior, bad thinking, sinful behavior, sinful thinking, did Jesus come to save us from those? Yes, he did. But that alone, my friend, would not have been enough. I, I, as a matter of fact, um, if all that we needed was some behavior modification and, and some uh, better thinking, he could have done that without dying for us. But he came to this earth as our substitute to die in our place so that we would have the opportunity to be born again. This is why he said you must be born again. Because the problem is a problem with our nature. And the only way to change our nature is for our old one to die. And a, and a second one, a new one, to take its place. Being born from a different seed than the first one was born from. So the new birth is a literal experience. And it's the only way to change your nature. It's the only way to change my nature. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Not it would be a good idea. Not you might want to look into it. Not if you ever have the opportunity to. No, he says you must. It's an absolute must. It's not a suggestion. It is an absolute 
must that you be born again. Praise God. Now, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to ask if there's anyone watching this, listening to this right now, you've never been born again. I want you to pray this prayer after me. Let's all pray it together. Just like we were in the room, a hundred of us in the room, and two people just raised their hands. Matter of fact, if that's you, I want you to acknowledge wherever you are, that's me. I've never been born again. I've never accepted for myself what Jesus has done for me. And I want you to pray this prayer after me. Father God, I come to you now. Say it out loud. Say, I come to you now. Father God, Father God, I come to you now. I come to you now. In the name of Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash me and make me clean. And I ask you, Father, to make me a new creation. Father, I confess with my mouth that I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I also believe that you, Father, have raised him from the dead. I ask you now to give me this new life, your life and your nature, so that I might live and grow in the life you created me to experience. Father, I thank you for your gift of salvation now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, please email me, mark at hccnow.org. You need to tell somebody. That's why I'm saying email me. I'd love to hear from you, but you need to let somebody know what you've done, okay? Let me pray for all of us, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us lay hold of these truths, these principles, these precepts. Thank you, Father, that we're building line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, the Holy Spirit and your word of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining me. You be blessed. We will be together again uh, next week, if not before. Good things coming.